This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Wow, amazing. Thanks Grace, what a gift to our church. Uh, Hope you enjoyed that. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, which we're working through this morning. Well, good morning. My name is Brad Koneman. I'm one of the pastors here at Anchor Church, married to Catherine, father to Eva, Reuben, and Blaze. It's great to be here together. Shout out to everyone watching on the live stream. Hi, Mum. I know you're watching at home. This morning, we're continuing our series, Tear Down These Walls, looking at Ephesians chapter 4. And today, we come to a huge turning point in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is broken into two halves, chapters 1 to 3. Paul explains all these beautiful theological truths about who God is and what he's done. And then at this moment, Ephesians chapter 4, he turns to consider how that impacts how we live. He turns from theology to practice. And we come to see that theology is useless unless it impacts how we live. It's kind of like a car. You know, you can know all of this information about a car. You can read all the engine specifications, all of the features that it has, all of the safety awards that it's won, all of the reviews online. But all of that information about a car is useless as long as the car stays in the showroom. A car is meant to be driven. And you cannot appreciate all the features of the car until you get behind the wheel you feel the power, you feel the braking and the, and the handling. A car is meant to be driven. And in the same way, theology is useless unless it impacts how we live. And that's where we get to this morning. Paul turns from chapters 1 to 3, all of these beautiful truths about God, to showing us how this impacts how we live. And today, Paul introduces us to the concept of spiritual fitness, He teaches us that we as the people of God are joined together as a body, that our purpose is bodybuilding, and that we should think of the church kind of like our spiritual gym. So let me ask you this morning, how do you stay fit? The current Australian government recommendations for exercise... They recommend five hours of moderate exercise every week for a healthy lifestyle or two and a half hours vigorous exercise a week for a healthy lifestyle. Our fitness industry is $2.2 billion in Australia, forecast for this year, but only 55% of us, 55% of Australians, don't actually meet the guidelines for a healthy lifestyle. I wonder if you're in the 45% who are living a healthy, active, five hours a week of moderate exercise lifestyle, or if you're in the 55% of us who don't meet those guidelines. For me, over the last few years, I've discovered the joy of bouldering. Now, bouldering is rock climbing without the ropes, and two to three times a week, I'll go to my climbing gym in Annandale, I'll spend an hour there on my lunch break, and I've just loved climbing. Climbing builds your strength, requires strength to get up the wall, builds your core, it requires agility and flexibility, but it's also a thinking game. They call each climb a problem, and so you've got to kind of problem solve how you're going to climb up the wall. 
How about you? How do you stay fit? What if we took the same kind of attitude and work ethic and passion that we apply to our physical fitness and applied that to our spiritual life? That's the invitation that Paul gives to us this morning, to think of our spiritual fitness, our life together as a body, our purpose of bodybuilding and the church as our spiritual gym. Now, I hope that some of you, many of you, might be taking notes. I've, to be honest, just to be honest with you, I actually find, I find listening to preaching quite difficult. Is there anyone else that finds... I mean, you, you all turn up here on a Sunday. But for me, and it might be ironic as one of our preaching team, but I find listening to sermons quite difficult. And taking notes in this series, in my little Ephesians journal, has revolutionised my experience of listening to preaching over the last few months been taking notes, leaning in, focusing, engaging, and taking a lot away from our preaching. So we want to see a, a re revolution in note-taking here at Anchor, us leaning in, applying the same kind of work ethic and focus that we do to our physical fitness with our spiritual fitness. So if you're taking notes, which I hope some of you are, this is what we're going to be working through as we work through Ephesians 4. The first movement in the passage that we're going to see is that the church is a body. The church is a body in verses 1 to 6. The second movement that the body has different parts in verses 7 to 11. And the third movement, that as each part works, the body grows. The church is a body, the body has different parts, and as each part works, the body grows. That's what we're going to work through, but I need God's help as the one delivering this message, and you need help as the listener. So I'm going to pray for us and ask that God would be speaking to us this morning in Ephesians 4. Will you pray with me? Father, I, I confess that my words are nothing, they're meaningless, unless you come here and speak. And so take my, my words, make them your words, speak with power this morning through this part of scripture uh, to change us, to grow us, to build us together as your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to work through this passage together this morning, verse by verse, starting at the top. So if you've got your Bibles there, keep them open. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. And that therefore is the hinge of the book of Ephesians, just like we talked about. The book is divided into two hearts, theology and practice. Therefore, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, is the hinge in the book, the pivot of the book, as Paul turns from theology explained to theology lived, from doctrine to doing. And what does he say? I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, could be translated even stronger, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. His first instruction, his most important instruction to us, the church, is to walk, to watch how we walk. And the language of walking is really significant in the book of Ephesians. Paul uses that language about half a dozen times throughout the book. You can go and look yourself. He describes how we shouldn't walk, how we should walk, and walking describes how we live. He's describing the life of faith as a life of exercise, as an active lifestyle, a dynamic lifestyle. Faith should never be static or passive, something that we you know, decided years ago and doesn't impact how we live. Faith, according to Paul, is a journey, an adventure, a pilgrimage that we are on. 
as people following Jesus, we are headed in a new destination with a new guide. We're making progress along the trail every day. And it's interesting that he describes the Christian life as a walk and not a run. You know, often we want instant results. We want to sprint to the finish line, get things done as quickly as possible. But Paul has in line, has, has in view a walk, a long walk that will take our lives where we're keeping pace with our master, steadily making progress along the trail. And he says that it matters how we walk. It matters how we live, to walk worthy of our calling. Paul is reminding us that we, as God's people, have a new identity, a new calling in Christ, and our lives need to conform to that new reality. He's calling us to an integrity of where our doctrine and our desires and our doing all match up, an integration of our theology and our practice, our identity and our behaviour. And we're reminded, like I said at the start, that theology is useless unless it impacts how we live. I believe in this passage, Paul has in mind a very specific aspect of our calling that he wants to remind us of and build us of. If you scan down to verse 4, he'll say this. So if you can pick up what Paul's putting down, there's one thing that he wants to, to emphasise. There's a repeated word here. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Did you pick up on the repetition? There was one repeated word repeated seven times throughout those two verses. Paul wants to remind the church, he wants to remind us of our unity, of all that we share in common. And you, you might remember back to chapter 2, where Paul describes that there were two different people. There was the Jews, God's people, and the Gentiles, those who weren't God's people, and they were separated. There was this animosity and hostility, this division between these two groups of people. But the good news that Paul wants to remind them of is that through the cross, Jesus has taken these two groups of people and united them as one. He's torn down the walls, tear down the walls. He's taken down the dividing wall of hostility. He's made the two people one, uniting them together in one body, which he wants to remind them of here, that we have one body. And so this call to walk worthy of the calling, I believe here that it's, a, it's a, an instruction for us to preserve the peace that Jesus has achieved through his cross. As the church, we need to fight for unity. We need to make sure that we don't undo what God has done. Jesus has brought us together as one people. Let us not undo what God has done. And so what does this mean for our life together as a body at anchor, as a family, as people united in Jesus? Well, there's a lot of diversity in this room, a diversity of age, of life stage, of gender, of sexual preference, of career, of income, of church and theological background. Our diversity can threaten our unity, can't it? One of the things that I oversee at Anchor is our gospel communities. And 
many of you, your first connection will be with me will be once you've made Anchor Home, I'll get in touch and say, hey, I'd love to help you connect with the gospel community, which is where we really experience church as family. And many of you will ask me, hey, I want to join a group with people just like me. I want to join a group with all the other students and be in the student group. I want to join a group with all the other families and be with all the other families. I want to join a group with all the singles and be with all the singles. I want to join a group with all the young professionals and be with all the young professionals. I want to join a group with all the other young marrieds and be with all the young, other young marrieds. And to every single one of you, I say, I'm sorry. <laughs> we don't have demographic-based groups here at Anchor. All of our groups are diverse and intentionally so. In all of our groups, I hope that there are students through to grandparents, families, couples, people of diverse careers and life stages, because I believe that our diversity is our greatest opportunity to grow in the character of Christ. Our diversity is our training regime in our spiritual gym, because as we encounter people that are different to us, God will stretch us in humility, verse 2. He'll stretch us in gentleness, in patience. We'll have to bear with one another in love when we encounter people that are different to us. Church ought to be our spiritual gym for character formation, where we are becoming people that are more and more like Jesus. And that means that I hope that you have a nice time at church. I hope that you come here and feel connected and loved. But church, at the same time, shouldn't be comfortable for us. If church is our spiritual gym, then it will require sweat. We need to look after our hygiene as well. We don't want to turn up to church too smelly, but you know what I mean. Church requires hard work and training and repentance. It calls us to change. And so this is what Paul is reminding us of. The church is a body. We have been united as the people of God. And we need to walk in a manner worthy of that calling, preserving that peace, fighting for unity. We don't want to undo what God has done. The church is a body, but the body has different parts from verse 7 to 11. Our unity in Christ doesn't mean uniformity. Our new identity and calling don't erase our personality. In fact, Paul will go on to show how our diversity enhances our unity and helps us to build the body. Chapter 4, verse 7. Let's have a look at that together. Paul says this, Grace was given to each one of us, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul is talking about how each one of us has been given grace. Not the grace of salvation by which we're saved, but I think in the context of this passage, he's talking about grace for serving, giftedness to serve, which we're going to go on and talk about. He'll immediately go on to quote Psalm, chapter, Psalm 68, and he says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. This psalm is a victory psalm. It celebrates the victory of God over his enemies, and 
Paul makes the connection that just as a victorious king shares the spoils with his people, so our victorious king, the ascended Jesus, shares his victory spoils with the church. He gives gifts to the church. In Jewish tradition, this psalm, Psalm 68, uh, was used to commemorate the Exodus, the victory of the Exodus where God led his people out of oppression in Egypt and to celebrate the giving of the law uh, by Moses to God's people at Sinai. And commentators make this connection between Moses coming down from Sinai and giving the law and the Spirit being given by Jesus in giving gifts to the church. The, the use of the psalm might seem obscure to you. As I was preparing for this, I was like, why is Paul using this? I don't really get it. But I think the main point is that Paul's trying to say that the ascended Jesus gives a diversity of gifts to his church, that every single one of us have been given a gift by God. And in verse 11, he will go on to talk about five specific gifts that God has given. Have a look. Chapter 4, verse 11. He, the ascended Lord Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, th- throughout the New Testament, there's many different gift lists. I think if you add up all of the different gifts that are mentioned, there's over 20 of them. None of them are you know, a limited list, like these are the only gifts. These are not the only gifts that are available, but Paul focuses on them here because they are the leadership gifts of the church. And Paul is saying, church in Ephesus, I want to remind you that I have given these gifts of leadership to you to build you up. They're gifts of people, apostles. Now, of course, the apostles, there were 12 apostles who are eyewitnesses of the resurrection Jesus sent them out to bear witness to the ends of the earth. Their testimony is recorded in Scripture. And those 12 have a unique authority that doesn't continue. But we believe that there is an ongoing apostolic gift given to the church. And the word apostle comes from the same word which means sent. So someone that's sent, someone that's going somewhere, pioneering something new, starting new initiatives. God has given apostolic, pioneering giftings to his church. He's given prophetic giftings, people who give understanding into who God is, what he's said, what he's doing, and insight into our current cultural moment. He's given evangelists, good news people who are always bringing us back to the good news of Jesus, can't help but share what Jesus has done, always inviting people in. He's given shepherds, people who are pastors, caring about the people, comforting, healing, shepherds, teachers, people who explain and instruct and guide. God has given these gifts of leadership to his church. And, you know, to be honest, it it feels a bit arrogant for me to stand up here and say, as one of your spiritual leaders, God has given you your leaders as a gift. I am a gift from God to you, Anchor Church. And, of course, I'd never say that. But I I do want to remind, like, that's the point that Paul's making here, not specifically about me, but anchor your elders, your pastors, your staff, your gospel community leaders, your ministry directors, they are gifts from God to build you up in the faith. And, I I mean, on behalf of our elders and staff, we we receive that from you. We we feel very honoured and loved. We don't feel like our leadership to you is kind of, you know, hostile, but that you receive us as a gift from God, and we're very grateful for that. We see here in this list that there is a diversity of gifts. 
And that's important, that for the church to be built up, we need a diversity of gifts in operation, all of these different gifts working together to build up the church. We see this diversity in play on our, on our staff team. Me, Matt, Dawson, Hope, James Wong, we are very different people with different personalities. We're wired in different ways. We each bring something unique and different to our team. Matt is our visionary. Hope is our resident prophet. Me, I'm our organiser. I help get things done. Dawson's our recruiter and empowerer. James Wong is our analyst and connector. Without that diversity, we would be a weaker team. We need one another to, to flourish and to, to lead you as our church. No one leader has all of the gifts, and we really believe that we need shared leadership uh, and all of the gifts that God has given in the church in operation for the church to flourish. And that's what we see here. The body has different parts. We need a diversity of gifts in, in operation to enhance our unity as the body and grow us up in Jesus. We come to the final movement in the passage, verses 12 to 16, and we see that as each part does its work, the body grows. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 12. We'll start back in, in verse 11. So Jesus gave these leaders, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers, he gave these leaders for what purpose? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. We see here the purpose of church leadership, that for us as pastors of the church, our job is not to do the work of ministry. Our job as leaders of the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that means that your pastors are not the ministers of this church. You are the ministers of this church, and our job is to equip you for service. Paul's vision is that as each part of the body does its work, as each of us is active in works of ministry, which means service, in works of service, that's how the body grows. And what I, what I see here is that Paul's vision of the church, it actually critiques some of our unhelpful views of what the church might be. Some of us might see the church as our spiritual service station, our spiritual servo. You know, we go on Sundays, we fill up the tank, we're good for the week. You know, we get that hit of inspirational music, what a great band. We get a nugget of wisdom from the preacher, hopefully, our spiritual servo. That's not what Paul has in mind. Some of us might see the church as, you know, a stadium concert. We're here at the factory theatre, you know, with the incredible sound team, what, all the lights, all the music, it's incredible. We come and spectate and have a great time, and that's it. But no, for Paul, the church is not a spiritual servo. The church is not a stadium concert. For Paul, his idea of the church is much more like a spiritual gym, a fitness school, where we're coming together as diverse people to learn, to be equipped, to use our gifts, to grow together, to build the Christ, and to, to build the body of Christ. And so let me return to the question I asked right at the start. How do you stay fit? How do you stay fit? Well, of course, for our physical fitness, we need a healthy diet. We need those five hours of moderate exercise throughout the week. We need enough sleep, and I'm sure much more. 
But if you simply sit on the couch, watching Netflix, eating ice cream, not exercising, filling your, your tummy with junk, it won't be surprising that you become unhealthy, unfit. If you're not active, then it shouldn't be surprising that your belt size, your pants won't fit you anymore. And it's the same principles for our spiritual life. Navasale liked that one. <laughs> it's the same principles for our spiritual life. If you sit on the couch with your faith, metaphorically watching Netflix and eating ice cream and not being active, then you become spiritually unhealthy. Paul's vision for the church is as a body, to be spiritually fit, we actually need to be active. It's when each part is doing its work properly, in verse 16, that the body grows. And if a part isn't working, then it's not just that part that becomes unhealthy, but the body doesn't grow properly. That's, that's the nature of a body. All the different parts impact the health of all the others. Well, as with, spirit, as with physical fitness, the same with spiritual fitness, that our diet matters as well. And Paul wants to bring us to the importance of our diet, that we, we need a healthy diet as well as physical activity to remain spiritually healthy. He will go on to say, give two metaphors for being spiritually unfit and not having a healthy diet. He will say, re remaining a child and tossed around by the sea. And I believe both of these metaphors have to do with our, our intake, our diet of teaching. And you'll remember in some parts of the, the New Testament, Paul will say, you're still a child and you should have moved up into maturity. You're still eating milk and you should have moved on to solid food. Paul's concerned about the diet of his church, that we need a healthy diet in the truth uh, to remain secure and stable and not be tossed around by the sea. And so let me ask you, church, what is your diet? Because what you consume shapes the way that you think and shapes the way that you, you live. What are you consuming on social media, on your streaming platforms, on podcasts, on reading? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you need to cut out everything and be a hermit. That's not Paul's vision. We can enjoy all of these things as good gifts from God. But the same principle goes that as with physical fitness, you've got to eliminate junk from your diet to be physically fit. The same is for our, our mental life, our spiritual life. We've got to think on things that are honourable and beautiful and pure and excellent to grow up into maturity. And so each part of the body is gifted by God to grow up together in, into God. We need a healthy diet. We need to remain active in the faith. And for some of you, might, you might feel like, hey, I don't actually have much to contribute. I, you might be lacking in confidence and feel like, you don't have a part to play here. But what Paul is reminded, reminding us of here is that each one of us is gifted by God. Every single one of you sitting here is gifted by God and has something important to contribute to the life of the church. There is no one who is not gifted. Every one of us has a part to play. And the way that the body grows is by each one of us exercising our gifts Paul will say in verse 13 that the whole body, as we all use our gifts, the whole body grows up into unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In verse 15, he'll say that we grow up in him who is the head, who is Christ. Paul's vision here is of a body working together, remaining active in our faith, using our gifts, of having a diet that is healthy, 
And he finishes here in verse 15, reminding us of the importance of our diet for our spiritual fitness. He'll say in verse 15 that it is by speaking the truth in love that the body builds itself up in love. We need a healthy diet of the truth. Now, of course, God has given leaders as teachers in his church, but God's vision here is that every one of us is a teacher, that we all speak the truth in love. That means that it's not just the preaching team that are teachers, it's not just your gospel community leader that is a teacher, but here at Anchor, we believe that all of us are teachers. All of us are gospel speakers. Our vision is that we would be a gospel-saturated church, where Jesus is the topic of our normal, everyday conversations, where we're always reminding one another of the truth of Jesus, of who God is and what he's done for us and our new identity and calling in Christ. And that's why we believe triplets are so valuable to our church life. They're an opportunity for us to speak the truth in love to one another, for the body to build itself up. I hope you noticed it right at the end of this passage, the importance of love. In verse 15, Paul says that we are to speak the truth in love. Right at the end, he'll say that the body builds itself up in love. Love is the measure of our life together as the church. Love should motivate and animate the body. It means that our unity as God's people should never be a begrudging unity like I'm just with all these people that I really don't like, but I've just got to go to church and I I don't like it. No, we're together because we love one another. Paul's vision is love. And this means that theology should never be at the expense of love because we speak of the one who is love, whose love surpasses knowledge, who is motivated by love to save us. Paul's vision is that as we speak the truth in love, we grow in love together. And so this is Paul's vision for the church. Where am I back on? This is Paul's vision for the church. A spiritual gym where we're working out together. A healthy diet of the truth. Each part of the body remaining active in service. A spiritual gym where our unity is enhanced by our diversity. Where each part of the body, every single one of you, has a part to play because we are all gifted by God. Imagine if we took the same attitude that we have towards our physical fitness, the same discipline and work ethic and passion that we put into the gym or that I put into my climbing. Imagine if we took that same approach with our spiritual life together. That's the vision that Paul has. That's the church that we are called to be. And that's the church that we see on display, even here this morning. There's a diversity of gifts across our our church in operation this morning. Look at everyone serving up the back. Look Look at everyone on the live stream and on the lyrics and on the music and serving on kids and connect. People are serving across our church every week. People are using their gifts to build the body. This is the church that we're called to be and it's the church that we see before us. And so I want to invite you into this vision of the church, that you would have this same shift in thinking, that you wouldn't see Anchor as a spiritual service station where you come on Sundays for a little top-up, that you wouldn't see Anchor as a stadium concert that you can just sit back as a spectator and enjoy, but that you would see our church as a body 
as a spiritual gym where you have a part to play, where you can use your gifts to build up God's church. And so I'm going to pray for us, church, and then we'll respond in worship. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this part of your word. We thank you that you are growing your church. We thank you that you have gifted your church, that every single one of us has something to contribute here. And I thank you for everyone who's serving this morning and the part that each part is playing. Father, I ask that you would continue to grow us into maturity. Father, where there are areas of immaturity in our lives, in our thinking, areas where we're sitting on the couch with our faith, I ask that you'd lead us to repentance. Continue to change us. Father, give us a great joy as we use our gifts. May we see this vision become increasingly more and more part of our church, that you would build us up in the unity of the faith to become more and more like Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name.